11 years old. This is what I heard is the gospel. The gospel is good news. The gospel's good news. Anyone write this down just out of curiosity? Okay, a few people. Oh, a lot of people wrote that down. Okay, the gospel is good news. Now, in my opinion, this is the best description we can give for the gospel. And at the same time, it's the absolute worst. Saying that the gospel is the good news is the absolute most accurate, best description we can give. And it is absolutely not helpful at the same time. And here's why. The gospel means good news. That's what the gospel means. It's a compound word in in the Greek language. We all know what compound words are, right? You have two words, you put them together, they each maintain their same meaning, and together they have now a combined meaning. Airport, right? It's a compound word. Keyboard, compound word. Gospel, it's a compound word. Now, if we look at the Greek, we're going to learn some Greek today. My Greek is pretty rough, but we have some pronunciations up there. Although, for some reason, the format seems to be off a little bit. Uh, the Greek word for, for uh, gospel is euangelion. Euangelion. Two words. Eu means good, and gelion means message. Put them together, you have good message or good news. It's a compound word. Just like we would say a compound word is snowball or armpit. Right? Just boom. Two words. We have the gospel message. It means good news. Now, here's the problem with saying that the gospel is good news. We still don't know what it is, right? It's, it's basically a synonym. It's just telling us what that word already means. It's about as helpful as saying ping pong is table tennis. Great. That doesn't help me at all know what it is. We don't care so much that the gospel means good news. We want to know what the good news is. What is the good news? And so now we're back in the same, very same place and you might think well that was a worthless exercise we just waited five minutes we're still at the same question what's the gospel or what is the good news now i would love to provide a simple response to this question but the the reality is is there isn't really a very fast way of saying what the gospel is there actually isn't even really a text in the bible that we can turn to and we get this this full account of exactly what the gospel is we have pieces here and there we will have a story in the old testament there's a narrative and we find out that there's a part of the gospel there in that story we'll we'll hear a prophet uh, teach something to the people and we'll say oh yeah that's that's prophesying about the gospel there's a portion of the gospel there we look at the life of jesus and we say he lived out the gospel he made the gospel possible we look at the apostle paul in a text like first corinthians 15 where he actually says here is the gospel and we get a good amount of things there but that isn't everything that we would say encapsulates the entire gospel and i think the reason is because this entire book the 66 books in the bible it's just one long story about the gospel the whole thing is is encapsulated here in this story and so uh, what what we're given is is we're given stories like like um god as creator at the very beginning we, we, we understand that God is love. God creates people. And then we go down to the absolute bottom of the gospel message, and we find out that, that people sin. Humanity sins. And that there's this break in relationship between God and humanity. Then we have this, this great hope in the New Testament in Luke chapter 2, where we have the shepherds. 
there's an, an angel that appears to the shepherd and says, I bring you good news. I bring you gospel of great joy. We meet the character of Jesus. He accomplishes the gospel through his death and resurrection, which pays the penalty of our sins. And then we, we meet people like Peter and Paul, who, who then explain what this means, what this power means. People who say, you know what, I believe in that. I'm going to follow after that. And their lives are then transformed by the gospel. But even this description doesn't really do it justice. It's like saying, hey, you know your favorite piece of art? Why don't you describe that in one sentence? The person that, that you love so much, tell me about why you love that person in two minutes. It's just, it just doesn't do it justice. The gospel, well, some aspects of it are straightforward. It's just so lengthy. And that's why we're going to take several weeks to unpack it. Next week, we're going to look at God's revelation to us. How do we hear from God? How does God reveal himself to us? What, what is the Bible all about? How is the gospel communicated from God to us? Then we're going to look at human, humanity's sin problem, the bad news of the gospel. Then we're going to look at the good news of the gospel, salvation, how Jesus makes salvation possible. And then finally, on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the response. What do people need to do to respond to the gospel? And how does the bad news of their life turn into good news when they let the power of the gospel transform them? Because the, the good news is not just a definition. It's a way of viewing the world. It's a philosophy. It's a worldview. It's a story. It becomes a lifestyle. And when we fully understand the meaning of the gospel, we find out that the gospel not only means good news, the gospel, in fact, is good news. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that sometimes we take the good news and we change it a little bit and it becomes bad news. Now, some people do this on purpose. We probably have names that we would call these people, but I won't, I won't go there. But I mean, sometimes people will look at the gospel message and they say, I don't quite like that. I like this idea better. Then there's other people who just almost inadvertently, maybe even naively, they, they, they kind of follow a gospel that isn't really the intended gospel of Jesus Christ. Either way, either way is a fallacy. Whether it's intended or whether you follow it without really knowing about it. When you choose to follow a good news message that is not the good news, it ceases to be good news. By definition, it actually becomes false. It becomes bad news. Now, the Apostle Paul says that those who turn to a gospel that's different than the one Christ gave aren't following the gospel at all. They're following bad news. They're living with bad news. They're accepting to do this in their own life. It's their choice. And if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to look at a text briefly this morning because today's more of an introductory message to this series and not pinpointed on one specific part of the gospel. Our, our time in, in God's Word is going to be somewhat short, but we're going to look at the book of Galatians in chapter 1. Now, Galatians is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's a letter that he wrote to a church in Galatia. And we were in the book of Acts, which is just after the, the four Gospels. So if you get to Acts, then you're just going to go through Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then you'll wind up in Galatians. If it's helpful at all, which it probably isn't, I'm in page 904 in my Bible. So maybe that'll help you get somewhere in the vicinity. This is, a, this is Galatians chapter 1, 
And we're going to start in verse 6. The first five verses, Paul's basically said, hey, I'm Paul. Here's my greetings. And here we go. Verse 6. This is what he says. I am astonished. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. That's just what we were talking about. He says, I'm so surprised. I'm astonished. That, that you're turning away from the, from the gospel, the good news, and now you're turning to a different gospel, different good news. And what does he say? It's not good news at all. Verse 7. This is really no good news at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, he's speaking uh, in the, the plural, talking about some other disciples of Jesus, if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said so, now let me say it to you once again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Galatians is a unique book. Because in the book of Galatians, it's the only writing that we have from Paul that he doesn't begin his letter by giving thanks to the church he's talking to. And all of his other letters, when he writes to the Romans, the Corinthians, the the Philippians, all the other ones where he addresses his letter to a church, he has a pretty standard format. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. Remember, this is what the gospel is. Hey, greetings. Good to see you all. You guys are great. And then he says something like this. Whenever I think of you... I thank God for you. Whenever I'm reminded of you, I thank God continually for all of you. Not so with the Galatians. Why? Well, instead, he talks about his surprise. Right after his greeting, there's no thanks. He jumps right into this warning. And he says he's astonished. He's surprised that they're no longer following the good news. He's shocked. To use a word that my grandfather used to use, he's flabbergasted. He's floored. He can't believe this. Why would a group of people that he's personally interacted with, that he has shared the good news of life, the truth, why would they then follow bad news? He can't believe what's going on here. They're following a twisted version of this news, which is really not good news at all. It's basically saying they're following bad news. Now, Paul gets pretty fired up in this letter for as much as, as Paul can get fired up. We don't, I, I, I worry sometimes when we read the Bible, when we read Paul, we don't completely hear his frustration. In this case, even his anger, maybe his sorrow with what he's writing about. Because at least for me, I hear far worse words every single day for things that are much more petty than this. I mean, this is big time. This is people who are changing the gospel. These are people who are leading others astray from the good news of Jesus. And, and I think it might be a bit easier if, if we would kind of use different language to find out what he's saying here. This gospel changed Paul's life. He says later on in verses 10, 11, and 12, you can read them. He says, I'm not trying to impress people here. I didn't make up this gospel myself. I don't really care about what men and women think about me. This gospel came from Jesus himself. That's why I'm passing it on to you. That's why it's so important to make sure that you know what it's aware about. And what does he say? He says, if you alter it, if you massage it, 
if you change it in any way, to hell with you. That's basically what he says. Let you be under God's curse for your disobedience. And then he says, I'm going to say it one more time. Let's be crystal clear here, people. If you twist the gospel any way at all, or if you follow a gospel that's not the same gospel that I received to Jesus and that I've taught you, you can go to hell. May you be eternally condemned. And this is so crucial for Paul that it marks the beginning of his letter. He substitutes it in for the usual habit he has of, of giving thanks to the church and kind of starting off on a, on a nice note. And he just lays the hammer here and says, you cannot change this good news. If you do it, it's no longer good news. It's just plain bad news. And Paul wasn't about to let his life ambition, this thing that he gives his life up for, to be altered without him having a say over it. And he really gives us uh, two words of warning in this short speech. He, he warns us about two things, and certainly I think the Galatians would have understood this. If you're here this morning and, and you're a follower of Jesus, if you're interested in following Jesus, then this message here is just as relevant to us as it was to the church in Galatia so many years ago. The first thing he says is, be sure to follow the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus, that good news. Not other news that might look like good news, but the gospel of Jesus himself. This message that Paul received directly from Jesus, that other followers of Jesus received from him and passed on to others. Make sure it's the original gospel. And the second warning that he gives is you better not distort this gospel. Beware of distorting this gospel in any way. Because let's face it, Whenever good news is tampered in any way, especially when it's news like this, it's good news of salvation, it's news of life, it is truth. Whenever it's altered in any way, it's no longer good news. It becomes bad news. Now, it might look like good news. It might appear attractive to us. And, and you know, there's so many books that have been written recently, and, and there's articles, and peop everyone has their opinion. We live in a world where where we respect everyone's opinion and that's subjective and you can believe what you want to believe and, and you know, more power to you. And so we have a lot of these competing ideas. Sometimes we'll read the scriptures and we think, you know what? I don't really know if I like that vision of God that I read there in the Old Testament. That sounds a bit harsh to me. But I like this story way better. This story of Jesus sounds much more attractive. I like what Paul says here. I'm not a big fan of, of what he says about marriage in this passage. I don't like this so much, but this is great. And so whether we intentionally intend it or not, we can kind of create this different image of God than what the gospel attests to. And sometimes I think we read through the scriptures and we think, boy, I would rather not have all that responsibility that the gospel requires me to have. So maybe if, if I just ignore this passage a little bit, well, now I've got a gospel where I don't have nearly as many responsibilities. This sounds much better news to me. I, I can live with this. All the words that, that Jesus says about living a sacrificial life, of dying to myself, that doesn't go with my good news lifestyle of being a bit more comfortable. And we can just gently massage this gospel message just a little bit. Because maybe we're thinking, this sounds like good news to me. This sounds like better news that I would like to live with. And I think the warped gospel, 
a distorted gospel. It might thrill us for a while, might make us feel better for a while, but in the end, it will not satisfy because only truth can satisfy. A lie will never completely satisfy us. And the gospel's good news. It's the best news in our world. It's the best news that you or I can ever experience. But how many times do we think that maybe we can create some better news for ourselves? And whenever we adjust the gospel in any way, we get ourselves into trouble. Whenever uh, we think that, that we know what better news is, we can take the good news of the gospel and we can shift it just slightly and then we find ourselves living a bad news story. I know that I've certainly been tempted to do it. I bet all of us are tempted to do it in one way or another. I'll give you an example by telling you a story. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend. The friend and I were conversing and the friend said to me, what do you think about this, Keith? If a person dies, the person decided not to follow Jesus, what do you think happens when the person dies? Do you really think that God would send that person to hell? Said another way, the statement goes like this, hell can't exist because a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. Now that statement that's right up there on the screen sounds like good news, doesn't it? Hell can't exist. No one goes to hell. This is great news, isn't it? And it's tempting to say, you know what? That's true. That does sound like better news. But do you know what's worse news than that? What's really bad news in this scenario is an unjust God. What's really bad news about this is a God who is untruthful. Because the scriptures say that the penalty of sin is death. The scriptures say that hell does exist. The scriptures say that that's the natural consequence of people who choose not to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's really, really bad news if sin does not get punished. It's great news that there will be justice. I've experienced injustice in my life. I know that you've experienced injustice in your life. We choose to take the good news and twist it just a little bit. We may think we're getting better news. It's bad news. This is a bad news scenario. Another example of taking the good news of the gospel and altering it just a little bit is this. I've heard this said many times. The gospel is all about the golden rule. If you have to narrow it down, the essence of the gospel, really all that you and I need to worry about is loving your neighbor. That's all you need to do. Just love your neighbor. You know why this is bad news? None of us are good at loving our neighbor. Seriously. How difficult is it for us to love our family and our friends? That's tough. Now we want to justify ourselves before God by saying, I love my neighbor well. I'm, I'll tell you that much. If that's, if that's the line for me to get justified for God is to love my neighbor, that's terrible news. That's not good news at all. What about this one? Especially as we come up on the Easter season. The idea that the resurrection was a literal resurrection, that Jesus somehow came out of the grave inexplicably and that, that he rose from the dead and appeared to people. No, that was more of a poetic way of explaining that the spirit of Jesus lives on. That's how we understand it. It's metaphorical. It's poetic. How's that third statement good news? 
if Jesus died and was buried and, and his body, his remains are, are still there in the ground, just like everyone else who died before him, just like everyone else who died after him, well, then as the apostle Paul said, our preaching is useless and our faith is in vain. If the enemies of Jesus succeeded in killing him permanently, if we find out in this message that, that yeah, okay, well, maybe poetically, metaphorically, Jesus' spirit lives on, then the message of this news is that evil wins. How is this good news? None of it is. None of these examples are good news at all. They're all bad news. By, de- by definition, they're distortions of the gospel, the good news message of Jesus Christ. And, you know, these are just a few examples of things that are somewhat close to the gospel. We've got some similar characters here and some ideas, and and they've just been altered just a little bit. I mean, you and I are bombarded with messages every day of the week, of messages that aren't even close to this. But they all compete for our attention. They all compete for our following. And we need to make sure that we know what the good news is and how to counter false news that might appear like it's good news. Here's what I want you to do this week. Here's a, a bit of a, an assignment for, for this week. I want you to keep a mental log of the messages that you hear this week. Whether you write it down or whether you, know, you just have your ears a little bit more tuned than, than you're used to. Live, listening to advertisements, conversations with coworkers, television programs you watch, um, signs that you see, different initiatives that are going on. I want you to listen to the different messages that you hear. And I want you to think about why it's not good news. Why what you're hearing is actually not good news at all. Within every worldview, philosophical message that you hear, there's going to be an assumed value there. So do your best to listen to the message and think, what's the value here? What are they actually saying? And is this good news or is this bad news? Why is this actually distorted truth? Why is this not good news at all? I'll give you an example. I'm told... I'm told countless times a day, I don't know how many times a day I'm told this, I'm told that I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Mostly through advertising, you know, sometimes, well, I guess my son might tell me that, he's only two, but over and over and over again, Keith, you don't have enough. You don't have enough luxury in your home. You do not have a good enough phone. You don't have enough security. What would happen if this, this, and this? You don't have enough people envying your life. You don't have enough hair. You don't have enough product for your hair. That might be more geared for for women than to me, but I hear that message a lot. You don't have enough channels for your TV. You don't have a big enough TV. And you know what? You know what the hidden value is under this? Is that enough, or or excuse, is is the, the, the concept of enough being better Well, the lie is that we can never get enough, right? You know what terrible news that is? (laughs) If you live your life thinking, if I get more, I'm going to be more satisfied, that's brutal news. I've never met anyone who said, I feel like I have enough. I mean, I think Rockefeller said that years ago. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. He lived his whole life. It never satisfied him. This is bad news. You know what Jesus said about this philosophy? The idea that, that more will satisfy, more will be enough. He said this, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know what the Apostle Paul said about this philosophy? Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
One of these truths is good news. The other is not. Only one will satisfy. Only one is worth living after. Many of the examples that I've used this morning uh, come from an author named Frederick Buechner. And I want to close our time by quoting what he says in, in one of his books as he describes what the gospel is. This is what he says. What is both good and new about the good news is the wild claim that Jesus did not simply tell us that he loves us, even in our wickedness and folly, and wants us to love each other the same way and to love him too. But that if we will let him, if we will let him, God will actually bring about this unprecedented transformation of our hearts himself. What is both good and new about the good news is the mad insistence that Jesus lives on among us, not just as another haunting memory, but as the outlandish, holy, and invisible power of God, working in countless ways to make even slobs like us loving and whole beyond anything we could conceivably pull off by ourselves. That's the gospel. That's good news. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for good news because there's plenty of bad news in our life. Plenty of distortions of the gospel message. Plenty of lies that say that we can be transformed, that we will be satisfied, when, Lord, they will not take care of our needs. Lord, I thank you that you have an answer for the bad news of our life, the bad news that we cannot fix ourselves, the bad news that we're sinners. I thank you that you provide us with good news that you justify us, that you save us, that you redeem us. Lord, I pray this week that we will not be deceived. I pray that you would gift this church with discernment. That as we go from this place, as we interact with different messages in our world, as we speak to people perhaps that have just a slightly skewed view of the Bible, that we would recognize that as a lie. That we'd be filled with your spirit of truth. And we would say, no, no, no. That idea, that leads to bad news. I don't need that in my life. I don't want that in our life. Lord, may we be satisfied alone by your gospel. And may it truly transform our lives as we continue to study it and apply it over the next few weeks. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the good news that you've made available to all of us. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. May you go in the peace of Jesus.